all of our campuses. I want to welcome those of you that are joining us live on the South Shore, Gulf Coast, online. I particularly want to welcome all the men and women at the Orleans Justice Center and the St. Tammany Parish Jail. Come on, can we just welcome all those of you? Good to have you guys. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. We are in part four of a five-part series called The Other Side. Again, I want to say to all the campuses, I will be finishing it up next week. I know the kids are out of school. A lot of people are in and out of town for Mardi Gras, uh, but I'm going to be talking about uh, how it is that we can step out in faith and accomplish what God's put in our hearts. Today, I want to talk to you about how to get to the other side of anxiety. We've been teaching in this series that each one of us will come to moments in our lives when we are faced with obstacles, with challenges, with things that are seemingly bigger than us. The question is, what do we do? What do we do when we don't know what to do? How do we respond? It's interesting when you think about life and you think about all the different ways that, that we've responded. And you even look in the Bible, different ways that people respond when they're, when they're facing a challenge that's bigger than them. It's interesting, I want to talk to you about anxiety because anxiety is a little bit different than fear. If you were here two weeks ago, I talked about fear. What is fear? Fear is that, 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 that bony finger that points at you in the morning when you get out of bed and says, you can't, you won't, you aren't. It's specific. Where anxiety is that foreboding sense, it's a little bit ambiguous, it's that, that you feel it in the stomach, where, where you're like, it's this cloud, that, it's almost like an, an afternoon cloud that's just hanging over, and you're just like, are you going to rain or not? It's anxiety. I want to talk to you about how to get to the other side of anxiety. Speaking of anxiety, I, I know some people experience anxiety when they fly, I, uh, I, I used to think it was pretty cool to fly. Now I don't as much anymore. And I was like, oh my gosh, man, it's just a lot, a lot to it. I know many of you professionally, uh, you may have to do that uh, in, in your jobs. And, and so I've, I've experienced a whole set of ex, uh, emotions flying. I, I've been in all different kinds of things and turbulence and, and emergency landings, all kind of stuff. I mean, you know, you go through an emergency landing, you get to really know if you're a Christian or not. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, you, there's more people getting right with God. Matter of fact, one time I was, I was on a plane coming back from Asia in Tokyo, and I was literally, we dropped like thousands of feet, like, whoo! And the lady next to me, she was just, she just, she kind of just screamed. She was holding so tightly onto the seat. She was like, she was like underneath. And I was like, man, I can, I hope you're holding this thing up. I mean, I just, please help us. She was just holding it so tight, you know. So I, I've been through a whole bunch of those. I, there's, there's something about anxiety in airplanes. Matter of fact, you don't want to hear several things over the intercom from the pilot when you're flying. For instance, I, this is not a good one. Midway across the ocean, you never want to hear your captain speaking when he says, this is the captain speaking. I just wanted to remind you that your seat cushions could be used as flotation devices. I mean, uh, that's, 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 not, that's not good. All of us experience anxieties at different levels. I'm not to suggest that we can get to a place where we never have any of those feelings, but I do believe that we don't have to be dictated, marked, and controlled by anxiety. I believe that with all of my heart. Today, I want to talk to you about how to get to the other side of anxiety. In our series, we've been looking at the children of Israel, 
as a group of people where they've come out of bondage in Egypt and they've come to the, the Red Sea. Not the promised land, but they come to the Red Sea and they're in Egyptian bondage for 400 years. And it was there where Pharaoh put them under the taskmaster and the slavery. And they built so many things in Egypt off of the backs of those Hebrew slaves. And, and finally, God had enough, and he raised up Moses. Moses went into Pharaoh, and he told Moses, Moses told him 10 times, let my people go, speaking on God's behalf. Finally, Pharaoh let the people of God go. And they were all excited, and they came right up to the, to the Red Sea, and here it is, and they're high-fiving one another, and they face this obstacle. What do you do? Listen, what do you do when you don't know what to do? And just when they were turning to think about, maybe I'll go to the right, and we can go around it. Just when they got there, they turned around, and they saw Pharaoh's army behind them. Here's the deal. They couldn't go forward, but now they can't go backwards. Talk about that statement, being caught between a rock and a hard place. That's where they were. They couldn't go forward. They couldn't go backwards. They couldn't go to the sides. And it was in that moment where God spoke, watch this, to Moses to tell the children of Israel four things. And this has been our text for the series. Again, I'll read it one more time next week as we finish it up. Uh, and then I'll be getting a new series after Mardi Gras. But here's what the Bible says, where Moses, God speaks to Moses to tell the children of Israel this. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Everybody say, fear not. He said, fear not. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more. Fear not. Stand still. By the way, two weeks ago, I talked about fear, how to overcome fear. Fear is both a mindset and a demonic spirit. Paul says, God has not given us a spirit of fear. Last week, I talked about standing. Again, if you weren't here, I'm doing a little recap. What does it mean to stand in the Bible? To stand still in the Bible never means to passively resign yourself to circumstances. What it does mean is that I'm actively standing on God's word in a posture of faith, believing that at any moment, God's going to show up and things are going to change. That's what he meant, stand still. I'm about to say stand still. Today, I want to talk about the third thing. Look at the next verse here. He says, and the Lord will fight for you. Man, I want God fighting my battles. <laughs> I, I need help. I'm not that good. I, I need God's help. And the Bible says, and the Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your what? Say it. Peace. And the Lord said to Moses, why do the children, why do you cry out to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forth. So here's the four things. Everybody say, fear not. Stand still. Hold your peace and go forward. This is a template, I believe, biblically speaking, a template that God has given us because we still deal with challenges today. We deal with obstacles and adversities and trials. And so God spoke to Moses to tell the children of Israel, fear not, stand still, hold your peace. Today, I want to talk to you about how to win against anxiety, how to get to the other side, how to live in God's peace. Listen, how to live in God's peace regardless of what's happening around you. Anxiety is produced by the, our perception of the storms or the impending storms coming around us. Watch this. It's, anxiety is an emotional response to mental perceptions that you are in a disadvantaged situation. So you begin to feel it. 
You begin to feel it in your stomach. What are you feeling? You're feeling your mental perceptions of the negativity of things around you. Here's what I'm going to suggest to you. The, the Bible does not promise us that all of our storms can go away, but the Bible does promise us if we'll walk by faith and do it God's ways, we can stop the storms from getting on the inside of us. We, we, can, we can walk in faith. We can walk in peace. We can walk in a sense where we don't have to let what's outside of us get on the inside of us. That's what it means to get to the other side of anxiety. There is a battle. There's a battle for peace in the lives of people today. But we live in a culture, guys. There's so much stuff going on. People are freaked out. The news, what's going to happen and who's out there and what are we going to do? I mean, you know, just, just, just anything can happen at any given moment. And all the, 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 it's called the vicissitudes of life, the changeableness of life and culture and things all around us. Every single day, there's an opportunity for us to be anxious and stressed out and freaked out and, oh my gosh, and what if, and what if, oh, the stock market went down, maybe it'll go back up. And what about these trends and something in business? Some of you guys in business, you men and women, you're in business and you didn't see it coming. This trend and your product was a, you were, the, your, your delivery system, it shifted and you have this product and now you're trying to figure out how I can do this and somebody else has moved in and they're, they're, they're kind of gobbling up some of the market share and you're thinking, man, how am I going to deal with this? I'm not quite ready to retire. Somebody wanted to buy me and I didn't sell and didn't, I, I should have and now you got all these feelings on the inside. Or you've got children, you're trying to grapple with the reality of where they are, and they've got their own will and their sovereign will, and yet you're trying to make sure that they kind of stay within the river system, the canal banks, and just keep going, just, 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 just keep going, and you've got all those feelings of <sighs> on the inside. Maybe it's a challenge with your health, something in your health. And so there's always an opportunity for us to feel anxious. What do you do when you don't know what to do? How do you overcome these feelings, anxiety, and this restlessness on the inside? I, it's amazing how sometimes we deal with big things, big cataclysmic things that are high impact, and it's like, boom, and you're like, I've got to respond now. But sometimes, ironically, we get anxious not over large things, but even small things. You're driving to work, somebody cuts you off, and you're like, what's up? What's up? Did y'all, y'all have heard this story? I know we got so many new guests during our series, so I got to just tell you this because it's the best. I was on the causeway once, and I was in the left lane going what I know you can go responsibly. <laughs> My conscience was clean before God and man. I didn't. Okay, listen, so I'm going, and somebody's like, you know, and they drove by me, and they, and they, they, they didn't, they didn't praise the Lord, but there was another hand motion, and it was somebody from our church. So let me tell you what I did as a kind, responsive, loving shepherd, pastor, I caught up to him, and I caught up, I was like, They've been in counseling for the last couple of years. I, I was like, hey, wasn't that wrong? I just, that's just a wrong, but I just had to get. So, so the point is, maybe it's the word. You're excited. You're all pumped up and somebody's in front of you. How dare they? Or you get up, you can't find your toothbrush. You, you know, the coffee maker doesn't work. You're out of those little curings. It's like, this is a demonic attack. 
No, you're just out of courage, man. It's not that. Like, for instance, my, my, my life, I, I'm just, again, I get it. This is kind of my confessional time as well. In the car. Now, I'm, this is, I know this is a little bit just myopic and hyper-focused on it. Any noise in the car freaks me out. It just freaks me out. It's like, it's like. And if somebody's with me, here's the thing. I want them to have a partnership with my anxiety. You know, it's like, do you not hear that? Are you not freaked out by that? You know what I'm talking about? We want to we wanna get everybody else to kind of feel where we are, you know? And if they're just like in peace, you're like, are, are you okay? Do you not hear that? Never forget one time my older son, he goes, he goes he's, I, was, I was like, this is... Did, did, can somebody move? Is a crowbar loose? Is what is going on? And my son goes, Dad, you just need help. <laughs> so <clears throat> sometimes it's big things. Sometimes it's little things. Little things that can cause us to lose touch with reality and get all broken up. And a couple years ago, I had the opportunity to, uh, to go to Israel. I've been to Israel three times. And it's majestic. It's beautiful. I mean, it's just, and if you ever have an opportunity to go, I encourage you to go. And I was in northern Israel on the Sea of Galilee. And by the way, you know, I grew up in South Louisiana. So my frame of reference for a lake is Lake Pontchartrain. You're thinking, you know, it's like, you can't even see to one side, you know, on a good day, maybe that, we definitely can't. Well, the Sea of Galilee, it's just like, it's, it's smaller than you realize. It's only eight miles one way long, and it's like two miles the other way. And so, and you know, in the Bible, you think, so again, if we're, we're from this area, our, our frame of reference is something that we're accustomed to. I'll never forget, I was with my daughter. The third time I went, I, was, I went with my daughter. She graduated from high school, and I was actually taking an additional kind of a continuing education course and uh, on bi- the, the biblical land, the Bible, the holy land, and all this. And, and uh, so it was really cool. We went with an instructor for 10 days, she and I, and it was really cool, really cool. i never forget when we got, to, we, we got to the Sea of Galilee, which again would be northern Israel, and you get in these boats that are called, it's, they literally, they call them their Jesus boats. The boat, the type of boat that Jesus, so, so we're in this boat, and, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the teacher opens up, and he opens up to this, to, to this what I'm about to read to you. And he begins to explain the Sea of Galilee and how these things happen. And, you know, and it's, it's, it's not a super deep lake and how the winds and all this. And, and, and it was almost like I was, I was taken back to where I was, I was right there. Really powerful. That's why it's so powerful to go to Israel. And I was thinking of this scripture even this week in Mark chapter 4, verse 37, because this is what the gentleman read to us. He said, and a great windstorm. They're on the Sea of Galilee. The Bible says, and a great windstorm arose, and, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was filling up. So you've got this boat, this Jesus boat. Jesus is in the boat, by the way, and the disciples, and the wind is filling the boat up with, these, with the water. But he was in the stern, so Jesus was in the stern of the boat, asleep on a pillow, sleeping. And they awoke him and said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and the, there was a great calm. And I want you to think about this picture just for a moment. 
All of these waves are crashing around the boat. And it means it's a radical scene. And the disciples perceive that, my gosh, at any moment, they're going to be overwhelmed. They're going to be overcome. The, the, the boat's going under. And here's Jesus. He's got a pillow hanging out in the stern. He's sleeping. To which I began to think about it even this week. Looking at this, I thought to myself, here's what's the good news. The good news is, if Jesus is in your boat, it's not going down. It's not sinking. It's not. How many of y'all are grateful if he's there? But I believe the, the, the greater image here is he gets up and boom, rebukes the storm. Now, what's the point of it? The point of it is we cannot, quote, we can't do away with every storm. But I'm going to tell you right now, we can walk with God where those storms stay on the outside and they do not get on the inside. Everybody say the peace of Jesus. All right, listen to me closely. Is the peace of Jesus a mental perspective or is it a tangible spiritual reality? I'll tell you what it is. It's number two. See, when you talk about getting to the other side of anxiety and walking in peace through the trials and the tribulations and the obstacles, I'm not talking about we get our minds attuned where we get our kind of like, my mind is at its blank. I have, no, 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 no. I'm talking about you can experience the tangible presence of Almighty God, which is the peace of God amidst the storm that you're in. Dealing in your job, dealing with family issues, dealing with your health, dealing with financial, that you and I can live in the peace. Listen to me. The peace of Jesus. In other words, it's his peace that you can live in, that I can live in. I want that peace. I want to experience that peace in my life. Peace be still. Today, maybe you're anxious. You're worried about some aspect of your life. Perhaps it's financially. Perhaps it's relationally. Perhaps it's in a marriage or a relationship, whatever it is. And I'm going to show you today that the Bible offers us a supernatural peace. Supernatural. I'm about to say supernatural. So it's above the natural. It's, it's, it transcends cognitive reasoning skills. It's supernatural. It's the peace of Christ. It's interesting when you see somebody that walks and they've learned how to walk in the peace of God. And by the way, for all of our guests here, I never present myself as somebody that's arrived. Nobody's arrived, by the way. The only th- Let me tell you when you've arrived, when you go to heaven. And the Bible says, you know him even as you know. But we are all in process. But here's what Christian, the Christian life is about. Here's what I say all the time for all of our guests. I'll say this all the time. I'll say I'm not where I want to be, but I'm not where I what? Used to be. So between where you are and where you were, that's called Christian growth. And what I've learned is in my own life, because I would freak out, man. I, would, I have a very active imagination. I do a lot of scenario planning in my mind. And I would get to the point where my mind was just rolling so fast. And I, and I would actually think my way out of peace. And what I'm learning in my life is I, I'm learning in my life that, 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 that I can walk in the peace of God and that, I, and that I can respond to situations that previous to this would have caused me to be anxious. Now I can say, God is with me. God is in control of my life. I'm a follower of Jesus. God's presence is within me. If Watch this. this when you see somebody that learns to walk in this, here's what their mindset is. If this door closes, no problem. Another one will open up. 
Something better, bigger, stronger, and more tailored to where I am in my life. They don't freak out about that. Anxiety brings a heaviness. It brings a, an oppression to your life if you don't deal with it. A number of years ago, 2009 and 10, some of you have heard my story about this. There was a season, not a day, not two days, but a whole season in my life where I lived anxious. Many of you know the story. We were building at this Little Creek, the Little Creek campus. Of course, we have a campus in Metairie and Biloxi and different places. I, but here in, in, in the Little Creek campus here in Mandeville, we were, we were building this environment. The problem was we started it before the recession, and then we went into recession, and it was a, it was a, it was a tough time, tough time for everybody. The problem is we were too far to go back. We'd already poured the slab and the foundation, and I got to tell you, I, would, I, I, I lived for two years, literally. I, I'd wake up in the morning. It was two years. I'd wake up in the morning, and I'd be like, oh, my, I got a face. Has anybody ever woke up in the morning, and you wish you could just get back in bed? Come on. You know what I'm talking about? You just thought, do I really have to do this? Let's just start over. We'll see you tomorrow day. I mean, it, but I, I, you can't do that. You got responsibilities. You got personal and family and professional responsibilities. What I'm talking about today is not theoretical for me. It's not something that I found on the internet. It's not something that I read in a book. It's a, I've learned, I, I'm learning, but I've learned how, listen, I've learned how to be in a storm, but not allow that to get on the inside of me. It's a, it's a biblical principle, and it's all about learning how to live in the peace of God. John chapter 14, Jesus said it this way. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. This is Jesus talking. Now, this is the amplified version. It's an expanded, there's a lot of adjectives attached to it, descriptive words. Do not let your hearts be troubled, distressed, or agitated. Watch this. Verse 2, peace, Jesus says this. This is, this is important. Is the peace of God working yourself into a mental framework where you've just mentally learned how to clean your, clear your mind? Nothing wrong with learning how to get mentally prepared, but this transcends mental preparation. This is a tangible endowment of the Holy Spirit peace of God. That's what I'm talking about. Peace, Jesus said, I leave with you my what? Say it. Own peace I now give to you and bequeath to you. That's a cool word. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. In other words, we can, I know this sounds crazy, but somehow, some way, in God's wisdom, in God's power, in God's providence, somehow, in some way, we can grow to a place where we, yes, even like Jesus, because it's his peace, we can be storms all around us, and there can still be a rest in our soul. Rest. That's what I want in my life. Again, I'm not advocating passivity. We are professionally engaged. We make decisions. We execute. I'm not talking about, we just walk around, just pass it. No, but, but, but it's, it's how we do it. It's our spirit in which we do it. It's walking in God's peace. So how do I do this? Let me give you guys three things, three ways that I am learning how to live in the peace of God. Number one, first thing is, We've got to learn to recognize <clears throat> that God is in control of our lives. We've got to realize that. It's interesting when you and I begin to think this way, 
It's, a, it's an incredible mindset where we begin to understand God is in control. We often stress out when we think that we have to keep our world controlled and held tightly together. In the story, the Israelites were wigging out, as were the disciples when they were caught in the storm. Why? Because of worry. Everybody say worry. Worry. What is worry? By the way, let me tell you what worry really is. Worry is temporary atheism. It's There's a moment of, you know what, we are theists. A theist is, a Christian is a theist. A theism is a belief in God, theistic. Atheist means non-belief. It's like apolitical. Apolitical means you're disengaged from the political process. You're not. An atheist, a theist means you don't believe in God. All right? An agnostic, an agnosis, gnostic means I'm not sure, but an atheist says I don't believe. So when you worry, you know what you're really saying? God's not in control of my life. God's not up there. God is not leading my life. And you temporarily take matters into your own hands. You say, I've got to do this because God's not helping me. That's what, that's what worry is. That's, what, that's when we give ourselves to that. See, if one door closes, I've, I've learned this in my life. I'm learning this in my life. It's, it's becoming a mantra in my life. Nothing happens to me. It only happens for me. Oh, man. Pastor, that's a different way of looking at things. So, so what you're saying is that the things in my life, yes, I'm walking with God and I'm speaking the word and I'm walking by faith, but, but, but I'm realizing the things around me are there to, to, to strengthen my faith muscles and then I'm walking through things. I'm not quitting. I'm not waving the white flag and saying, I give up. I surrender to that circumstance. I surrender to God because God is in control of my life. By the way, as a believer, do you know the Bible says that we are not our own? We belong to God. We've been purchased by the blood of Christ. He died on the cross, and his blood, his blood purchased you and I. Oh, man, I belong to God. People have asked me before, Pastor, what's your favorite scripture in the Bible? I'll tell you what my, my, my favorite scripture, because it's so redemptive. It's so powerful. It's so hope-filled. And it's Romans chapter 8, 11. I read it probably once a month to you guys. And we know that all things, everybody say all things, that all things work together for good to those who love God. By the way, let me pause right here. All things are not working together for good for everybody. I don't believe in that. I don't just believe in that. We just live in this, this giant, you know, just quesera, just whatever. You know, it's all just, you know, it's something good. No, 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 no. There's a caveat. We know that all things work together for good to those who what? Everybody say, love who? God. Not perfect people. Nobody's perfect. There's only one person who was perfect. His name was Jesus. But there's a love for God. There's, there's a pursuit of God. And to those who are called according to his purpose. So I'm learning in my life the first step to overcoming anxiety. Is I'm realizing that things that happen in my life, are, they're, they're, not happening, they're not happening against me. They're happening for me. I'm building my faith. I'm growing in the character of Christ. I'm pursuing God's plan and call and purpose in my life. And it's actually helping to push me on that pathway. If I don't look at it that way, I become a victim. I'm a victim. The world is bad. They're taking advantage. Everybody's saying, no, God is with me. God is for me. If God is for me, who can be against me? The problem is timing. The problem is timing with that. Boy, don't we, we all struggle with that. I, some of you guys have heard this story, um, and some of those, there's so many new people in our church. I, I, um, 
I graduated from college in 1991. I went to Tulane across the lake and graduated. And, and then I, I, I actually went to a missionary training school for two years. In 1992, 19, it was a two-year school, four semesters. And when I finished with that, I was so looking forward. I thought surely somebody was going to you know, pay me to go into the ministry. I was going to be, and there was really no opportunity. I came back to New Orleans and I live with the associate pastor, he and his wife, and upstairs of their house. And, and um, I started, uh, I, I actually started seminary at the Baptist Seminary. But I also, here's what the pastor said He says, You need a job during the day, shortest hours you can, so you can be free and available to, to do ministry at nighttime in the singles ministry. So I worked at this restaurant called Semolina's Restaurant. This is 1993, so 25 years ago. I'm 24, and I'll never forget. I remember when I gave my heart to Christ in college, this friend of mine, I, I, he's, I never forget what he looked like. He had red hair and a red beard in college, and just and his dad was the number two guy in the United States for American Express. He lived in New Jersey, the number, and he was a very sharp guy. This kid was brilliant, and I remember when I gave my heart to Christ, he thought, Steve, 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 Steve you're going too far with this, man. No, 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 you don't, don't, you're just, it's too, you just pull it back, pull it back, pull it back, pull it back. I remember my junior year when I decided not to go to law school, but I said, I'm going to go to seminary, I'm going to go to Bible school, I feel called to ministry. He kind of sat me down, almost like he was my dad. He goes, Steve, you have so much potential. Like he was trying to talk me out of it. I hadn't seen him in three years, and he was, um, it was in Mardi Gras, actually, this time it was at Mardi Gras. And um, so I graduated in 91. This was now 94. This is February of 94. So it's been three years. And he comes and sits at my table. He's visiting some friends. He's a third, I think, second or third year medical student, third year at Vanderbilt University in Nashville. He came down from Mardi Gras with some friends. And I'll never forget it. I, I saw him and said, oh my gosh, he's going to ask me. He's going to ask me, and I, I'm just, my, my insides are like, oh, gosh, well, he's going to wonder why, because I told him, I'm going to go preach to God, and, and so I, I remember going up to his table. I thought, oh, gosh, this is coming, and I just, I just walked up to the table. I was like, Ooh. and I got to him, and I said, um, can I, uh, uh, looking down the mat, I said, can I get you something to drink? I'll never forget what he said to me. He looked up, he goes, Steve, dude, didn't you like go off and become some sort of a priest? What are you doing here, man? Now listen to me, I say this respect. He wasn't a Christian, okay? He, I mean, according to what I knew at the time, he didn't have a biblical worldview. He didn't. So how do you tell a guy like that, oh, oh, brother, no, 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 Jesus has me working at Semolinas, building character in my inward man. I'm on the potter's wheel. God's working in me all around. You know how this is. He doesn't get that. <laughs> it's funny. You're laughing at me. Isn't that right? I never forget. I walked back to my car that day, and I, and I just, because my inside does, it's like, you know, when is this going to happen? Why? And I just, I just surrendered afresh. And here's what I said. I said, God, don't miss this. God. You are in control of my life. Listen, you're in control of my future. You're in control of my timing. It produces a peace on the inside. Oh, it does. Number two, the second thing, and I've got about six, seven minutes. Stay with me. The second thing about God's peace is number 
too. We got to realize that God's peace, it's not based upon our circumstances. The number one fallacy that people have is that, here it is. How are you doing? Great. How are you doing? Fantastic. Tell me. And they start you know, giving you a litany of all the wonderful things that are happening in your life. Here's my question. Can you still resoundingly say, great, if your circumstances aren't great? You're going through something with a kid? How about something in your health? How about something at work? Can you still say, fantastic. So in other words, is your declaration that things are great based upon things being great or your insides being great? There's a big difference. That's why Paul said it this way in Philippians chapter 4. Be anxious for nothing. Spanish people, nada. (laughs) Do you realize the quality of our lives if we actually live this way? Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So in other words, I'm not allowing big things. I'm not allowing little things. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm living, watch this. I'm learning to, to live above the fray. You know, I learned something this week when I was studying. I, I learned one of the, the uh, you know, the Bible talks about different animals and different birds. And one of the birds that God likens to the Christian in their faith and the believer throughout the Old, and New Te- the Old Testament, the believer's the Jewish believers, and the New Testament, the Christians, is God likened us having strong faith to an eagle. Those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. Y'all y- y- remember that, Isaiah chapter 40? It's interesting, I-, I did some study on the eagle this week. Did you guys know this, the number one enemy of the eagle, you know what it is? The crow. I, I, I'm a turkey hunter too, and I, I, I sorry, I am, and, uh, and, 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 and crows torment turkeys as well. I thought it's like, crows are really tormented. I mean, they just, crows just, are, and what happens is, and I did some study, it's really interesting, that, 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 that they'll, they'll, they'll come up to, the, and the eagles will come down, and you know, crows, they'll travel in packs, almost like wolves, you know what I'm saying? They'll go, ah, 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 and they just torment eagles, and they're like, ah, you know, they're just, and the only way, and they're just kind of nipping, and they're just, ah, ah, yeah, you know, and, that, that, that's, and the eagle just gets so tormented by that. They'll try to swoop down. They'll try to move. And boy, these crows, man. And then they'll get two or three of their friends. And you know, crows attract other crows. Have you ever seen how they, they operate? And, 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 and I begin to think about that, just, just like the circumstances in our lives, how they just, they're all around us. How does the eagle overcome the crow? You know what they do? They raise out their eight-foot wingspan, and they catch a current, and they, Do You know, some eagles have literally been recorded at flying at 20,000 feet. In other words, they fly in an air that the crow couldn't fly in. What's the point? Listen, when you can't, all these circumstances around us and this little job thing and this little attitude thing and somebody's being critical of you and somebody's got this and they've said this. Let me just tell you something. Let me tell you something. As a pastor, oh, man, I've got to, I, I had to learn to deal with criticism. Man, early on as a pastor 20 years ago, I, people would say something like, wait a minute. Why? Because, I mean, be honest, I'm a nice guy. 
I don't know why somebody would say something negative about me. And I, I would hear something or about my kids or about, by the way, I just want everybody to know this. Pastors have real families, real children, real wives. Are y'all with me? We're real people. But I had to learn that when criticism comes, I had to, watch this, I had to learn to fly above that. I can't let the crow pull me down and all that little thing because then little bitterness and caw, ma, ma, caw. last week I took my shoe off. Now I'm crowing. Don't never forget this message. Are y'all with me? Everybody said, learn to fly above it. How many of us lose our peace over little crows in our lives? Yeah, I don't want to do that. Come on. I, I don't want to do that. I'll finish with this. Third and final thing is this. So number one, what do we do to walk into, we realize that God is in control. We declare, God, you are in control of my life. Nothing happens to me. It only happens for me. Grow in me in faith. Grow in me in strength. Number two, I'm learning to base my inner happiness and peace, not on my circumstances, but on the indwelling presence and power of Christ on the inside of me. Number three, and I close, we've got to remember to daily practice the presence of God. The presence of God, listen to me, in the Bible, you, you know there's different theological words, and you guys have heard this word before, the omnipresence. Omni is the Latin word which means all, presence, all present. Omniscient, omnipotent, all-powerful, all-knowing. The omni, God is, yes, God is all-present. But he focuses his presence, and he manifests his presence on those who call out to him. That's why the Bible says, draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. That's the book of James, chapter 4. So what does that mean? When, 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 we, when we draw near to God, what is God doing? Was God there, or was he not there? He's always there, but what he does is he manifests his presence. In other words, you can feel and sense the presence of God. This morning I woke up, and when I woke up this morning, I had my Bible, a little fireplace in my den, and it's, it's, it's fake, but it works. And uh, I did a log once, smelled up the whole house, and I ain't doing that again, so that was two years ago. And there's some challenges in my life right now. Some cha- just, you've got challenges. And you wake up, you got a choice. Don't miss this, I'm closing. You got a choice, you got a choice. C.S. Lewis said it this way in Mere Christianity. He says, the real problem of the Christian life comes when people do not usually look for it. It comes the very moment, listen, You wake up each morning at all your first wishes and hopes for the day. They rush at you like wild animals. These challenges, these problems. But the first job each morning consists of simply shoving all those problems back. In listening, listen to that other voice. In taking that other point of view. And letting that other, larger, stronger, quieter voice come flowing in, the voice of God. Everybody say, it's a choice. Isaiah 26.3 says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind has stayed upon thee. This morning I woke up, and not because I'm a pastor, because I'm a Christian. I, I got and I had my little fire. It wasn't too cold outside, but I, I got my Bible, and I'm doing the life journal, and then I, I put that down, and and I begin to practice the presence of God. What does it mean to practice? It means that I'm, I'm praying and I'm tapping in. I'm drawing near to God. I'm worshiping. And I just say, Jesus, I worship you. I love you, Lord. Jesus, I honor you and I thank you. God, I need you. Just like that song, I need you. 
Lord, I need, and, and I'm worshiping. Let me tell you what happens. I begin to sense God's presence, God's nearness. Now, God is there, but he begins to manifest himself. He begins to show up, and I begin to sense his warmth and his, and his presence. And what, what am I doing? I'm practicing the presence of God. And then I got in my car, and I put on music. What am I doing? I, I'm worshiping. I'm, I'm practicing the presence of God. There is a, there is a book I encourage you to read, written by a monk, Brother Lawrence, called Practicing the Presence of God. It's written five, six, eight hundred years ago. And his whole concept was he was washing dishes in a monastery, but he learned to make the mundane supernatural by worshiping God. So he washed dishes. He could fill with the Holy Spirit. I mean, the presence of God would come on him, and he was just, he was practicing God's presence. Jesus, I worship you. I need you. Matter of fact, I'm going to ask everybody to stand right now.